Good evening. Tonight's New Testament reading can be found on page two of your bulletin from the book of Matthew, chapter five, verses one through twelve. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, have, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for God's help. Open our eyes. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our ears. We all come with a world of concerns, different ones. And you, Holy Spirit, are able to travel in the secret places. And we pray that you would do that with your living word. In Christ's name, amen. So last week, we started a series uh, that we're calling Jesus' Bible. That is what Christians call the Old Testament. How did Jesus' Bible form and shape his thinking, his believing, his living, and his loving? The one glimpse we have of Jesus as a youngster is in the temple for three days straight. His parents don't know where he is, and he's just saturated in the Old Testament. This is what he learned. This was his Bible. And tonight we come to one of his most famous teachings, the Beatitudes, or the Blessings, or one translation can be the Happies, what makes one happy. And it really uh, challenges us, I think, for many ways. The, The modern American understanding of blessing, hashtag blessed, may look a little bit different than what we find here. And uh, some of you might recall some years ago that uh, New York Times writer Jessica Bennett wrote sort of a sarcastic, funny uh, commentary on this. She said, uh, calling something blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, fish for a compliment, acknowledge a success without sounding too conceited, or purposely elicit envy. Blessed is now used to explain dazzling job promotions, coveted speaking gigs, the most wonderful fiancé ever, and front row seats at Fashion Week, along with nominations for 30 Under 30. Now, of course, does God and can God bless us through our job? Amen. Through special relationships? Amen. But what she's getting at is... Do we have a thin, superficial, very conditioned view 
a blessing. Basically, blessing is ideal for us, meaning uh, blessing is ideal circumstances, what we explicitly understand to be positive in our lives, something that's good, none of which probably made Jesus' list. And so we find ourselves in this situation uh, almost like uh, where, where blessings, uh, like the football player that only points up to heaven when he, he scores. I have yet to see someone fail and kind of go, sovereignty of God, <laughs> providence of my weakness, you mean this to humble me, right? Maybe there's just not time to go into that. <laughs> but one of the great blessings of God's blessing is that he can bless you when you're high and when you're low. He can bless you when you're in spring and when you're in winter. He can bless you in the wilderness of a pandemic. He finds you in a place of blessing. Now, what's the basis for Jesus saying these things? Is it because Jesus is just sort of a sunny side of the street, affable sort of character? Well, if you study him, you're not going to say that. Where does he get this? Is he just sort of pulling these out of thin air? Well, no, he gets them from his Bible. That's the source of where he's going with the Beatitudes. And as we take time to look at the reference point, the contact, the source of these things, our understanding of blessing grows. It expands. It becomes something that is um, helpful right now. Something that's helpful. And so I want to do that, and I want to look at the foundation and the focus for Jesus' understanding of blessing, okay? So first, the foundation of blessing. One of the curses that we live under as modern people is this. We believe it's up to me to produce blessing in my life. It's up to me to produce blessing. So... If I'm smart enough and I make good decisions and I'm well-connected with a little luck, I'll have a blessed life. In short, I have to be the blesser of my life. And basically, what you have is a world of people that are about self-blessing. Self-blessers. The Beatitudes turn that on their head, on its head. Three things, first of all, about the foundation. We learn that the agent of blessing, no surprise, is the Lord God. If you read Jesus' Bible from the beginning, the book of Genesis, seventh day, God blesses the seventh day. The great benediction that he tells the priest to pronounce over Israel, the Lord bless you and the Psalms that refer to blessing. Just for fun, I put in my little search engine blessing and it's like in the Old Testament. The God of the Bible loves to bless. You see it in big things, and you see it in little things. Even in this passage, it's kind of a hidden grammatical thing. One uh, practice in Hebrew, Hebraism, was you don't say the name of God out of respect and reverence to God. Well, here, you don't find God mentioned, but you find this thing called a divine passive. It's basically a grammatical technique that is implicitly saying that God is here. God is present. God is the one that's blessing. The holy agent behind each of these blessings is the Lord. It's not just the agent of blessing, 
also the assurance of blessing. Uh, It's become common for people to say, and I know well-meaning, you know, hey, uh, I'm sending positive thoughts your way. I'm sending positive vibes your way. Well, God has something more from us. And that is, you know, blessings actually do something. Blessings can actually do and accomplish something. I mean, think about it this way. If your efforts to bless people have impact, how much more God's? And you find this in the agent, or rather the assurance of God's blessing. This is why in the Old Testament, people so wanted God's blessing, they would even cheat and lie for it. Now, you've got to qualify that. They wouldn't quite get it the way they wanted. But the point was, there was this understanding that if you have the blessing of God, it's going to make a difference. It does something. That's why the 12 sons wanted their blessing, 12 sons of Israel. That's why Jacob connived to try to get Esau's blessing. That's why Hannah goes to the temple and worships God. She needs the blessing of God. It does something in our lives. Thirdly, it's not just the agent, the assurance, it's the axis. The thing upon which blessing turns. Let me explain that. If we had a definition of blessing, it would be this. Blessing is to be in the state of well-being with God. Blessing is to be in a state of well-being with your relationship to God. It's less about things, it's more about this state. Therefore, blessing is the byproduct of being in relationship with God. Now, God shows his mercy upon the whole earth. But the kind of blessings that Jesus is talking about, and by the way, if we went to the context here, Jesus is talking to his followers here. The crowds are listening, earshot, but he's talking to followers, people that are putting his trust in them, uh, their trust in him. But it shouldn't surprise us that there's a relationship conditionality here. Like how many, how many birthday gifts or Christmas gifts uh, have you received from total strangers this year? Probably not many. You receive them from people you're in relationship with. And this is what it is with the God of heaven. In the doorway blessing is this. The chief blessing is this. To have a reconciled relationship with God. That's the open. That's the key. David talks about it in Psalm 32 when he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The Lord counts no iniquity against And the same idea goes into the New Testament when the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing under heaven and earth has been given to God's children. And then he cites redemption through his blood, forgiveness of transgressions, adopted by grace into his family. The chief blessing is to have a reconciled relationship with God, and that changes the way that you understand blessing. But it's also evident here, and it takes us to what we might call the center beatitude. Now, theologians notice there's a structure to these beatitudes. They're not just a bunch of one-offs. The first three are often described as beatitudes of want, when you're in a place of want. The three that come later, Beatitudes of Action. But both of them pass through a center Beatitude. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the center. 
It's a grace blessing, but how is it? I don't know about you, when I read these, uh, it's very easy to hear them as Jesus basically saying, cheer up or buck up. You know, hey, if you're down, cheer up. You know, the poor get, you know, hey, cheer up. Or just buck up, you know, be merciful. Show some peace to people. But when you go back to the original context of what Jesus is pulling from, you see that it's much different than that. This is likely a reflection on Isaiah 55. Listen to it. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Let the wicked forsake his way and return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, for he will abundantly pardon. The hunger and thirst is referring to an invitation to come to God for his grace. And here we find something that really uh, is such a blessing to a tired world trying to bless itself. A tired world, because behind the blessing ourselves is, am I doing it well enough? Was I smart enough? Was I good enough? Did I screw up too much? Can this outbalance this? Hopefully God grades on a curve. If I can do that, then I'm going to get blessing. But what we find... Jesus referring to that Isaiah, as he's pulling from, is the Christian gospel alone and its blessing says, come with empty hands. Come with grimy, dirty hands from sin. Come when your moral bank account is in the red. Come when you're morally bankrupt. Come when your good deeds totally flip in your mind and you realize, good night, I thought I was doing this from a good motive. All these years it wasn't. You know, I was thinking about uh, when I was doing campus ministry up in the Northeast. And, um, you know, we, I had to raise support and a lot of money back then. It was, you know, 120000 bucks a year and the church could only give me 5%. I'd travel around and raise money. And uh, it, it was a big part of doing ministry. And so uh, you can imagine my delight when... Um, and this was still a small sort of church plant, when the musician and accountant, which is probably not the best combination, and I say that as a musician. So, um, you know, he said, Glenn, good news. You're, you're coming into December, you're 20000 over budget. I was like, wow. Praise God. So I write the letter to supporters, 20000 A week later, he calls me up and goes, I, I messed up your 20000 under. 40000 differential. Right? This happens when we actually come to stand before God and stand before Jesus, the blessed one, right? This is the the aha of happens when you know you've come to understand God. You thought you were 20,000 over, you're 20,000 under. But the good news of this whole thing is it is an invitation, a blessing of grace. Maybe you've gone to eat at someone's house before and you said, what can I bring? And they said, just bring your appetite. God is saying, just bring your appetite. Just bring your hunger, just bring your thirst, and I will bless you. Now, how, then, does that impact the other Beatitudes? Let's hit that before we round out and close. Now, the focus of the blessing. So, as we look at the first three, Beatitudes of want, we, there, there are two passages, especially in Isaiah, that Jesus was likely pulling on. Jesus loves to quote from Isaiah. This is a book that had a big impact on him. His very first sermon, 
when he chose the text, the scrolls given to him, he picks Isaiah 61. You heard it read in our Old Testament reading. That was Jesus' first sermon. And so listen to Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 66. And these chapters are about what the Messiah will bring. When the Messiah shows up, God's king, this is what he'll do, and these are the blessings he will bring, and they're exactly the blessings that Jesus does. When John the Baptist starts to lose his faith while he's in prison, he says to Jesus, are you the one that's supposed to come, or are we supposed to expect someone else? And he goes, the blind receive their sight, captives are set free. Oh, this is him. Listen listen to these passages, and listen to the echoes of the Beatitudes of Want. But with righteousness, he, held, she, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And then the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted to comfort all who mourn, the oil of gladness instead of, the, the, uh, instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So as we take that and look into the Beatitudes, How does it reveal blessing perhaps we haven't seen? Well, one is the expansion, the view of what God means by poor. Now, coming up in the white evangelical world, I heard often, and usually only, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. It's about uh, being uh, sinful before God. It's about, you know, spiritual poverty. And it certainly is that. But Luke, when you go to him, he, he just says, blessed are the poor. And Isaiah as well talks about God's concern for those that suffer injustice. It's wider. It's both and. For the believer that finds themselves, and there are many believers that find themselves suffering injustice in life. The quartet of the vulnerable, the Old Testament, right? The widow, the poor, the orphan, the foreigner, the stranger that has to move into a new culture. And so, His blessing, Jesus is seeing and saying, I see, I see what it's like for you because he lived that way. This is what's so important about who Jesus is and his Savior. So much that's important, but the only gospel that teaches that God comes in the flesh and he lives poor. He lives under injustice. No other faith teaches that. He comes close to you in that place. And so he identifies with the person that uh, had generational wealth robbed from them. He identifies with the elderly person that gets scammed. He identifies the person that's been cheated with wages. I was, over Christmas, talking to a family member who is very dear to me. And I asked them about their work. And they said, well, you know, and this person's in a very vulnerable, precarious place. So if your thought is, well, why don't they just quit and get a new job? That, that always comes out of a place of prosperity and power, right? If you got that luxury. And I said, How, well, it's tough. The last three years, my bosses just showed up and said, you know, I don't really like this deal that we have. So this is what it's going to be, lower salary. Next year, I don't really like this deal that we've got. That, right? The injustice that people suffer. And of course, during the pandemic, the World Bank has cited lots of organizations have had. Who's been hit the hardest, right? And so, Jesus gives a promise to those people. Starts off by that way, saying, Blessed are you, for you will, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does that mean? 
Some, sometimes, um, sometimes when I'm walking home, I, I walk past the Capitol and I you know, will pray for those that are working there. And if you work there, I want to thank you for your labor. I think it's got to be an incredibly hard job. Laboring for righteousness and justice and what's good. But, you know, sometimes I walk and I just imagine one day I'm going to walk into the city of God. Will there be no concern of corruption and injustice, right? What a beautiful city. The beautiful city is the just city in the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom is also, though, it has two dynamics. One, it's future, and it's also here. So Jesus is saying that that's going to happen. So he's encouraging and blessing the poor, saying, don't be fooled to think this is it. Because that kingdom will come. But it's not just already, or rather not yet, it's already. And so the church is supposed to be the place where someone gets a foretaste that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Right? And you see this in the book of Acts. When the church is on fire and filled with the Spirit, in the book of Acts we're told that great grace was upon them and there was no need among their community. And those that had sold what they had so they could give it that those that had faced injustice or poverty or whatever. And so the church is kind of this place where as I'm bearing the burden of what it means to be poor and I'm traveling, inching toward that kingdom of heaven, I got this community around me that just give me a taste. It's reminding me it's coming. And you're going to taste it now. Next, we're told, blessing upon those that mourn that are brokenhearted. And while, again, this refers to mourning over your sin, again, there's both and. A Hebrew scholar who's really renowned says about this Elijah, or rather Isaiah reference, that brokenhearted covers any and every human breakdown. You know why I think that's important? Because I have a tendency, and I think you do too, to think, I don't really deserve God's comfort. I mean, so, someone has it a lot worse than me. Or may, maybe I sinned, and this is part of my fault, or I, I don't really have much faith, I really doubt. All these reasons that I would edit myself out of the comfort of God. But guess what? Being brokenhearted alone qualifies for the comfort of God. These are beatitudes of want. This is God coming to you in your place of want and meeting you. When we don't have the ability to comfort ourselves, God can comfort us. This is the power of his blessing. And we're told in Isaiah, the parallel, that he will bind up. And that's a very personal word. It means personal attention. Healing, soothing, you know, putting on the bandage. If you've ever been in a position where someone had to care for you that way, that's the kind of care. I love the psalm where the psalmist says, you have kept my tossings on the bed. Anxious, 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 anxious. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Your tears. He comforts. This is the blessing Jesus is talking about. And then the last one of want, blessing of the meek. These are those that suffer the self-blessers. Right? When you're a self-blesser, and all of us can relate to that because we got that tendency in our heart, right? That idea that I've got to outsmart my neighbor to get some self-tests or to find the toilet paper. You know, I always have the feeling, especially in D.C. where everybody is like so smart, you know, and strategic, you know. 
I, re- I remember when we were trying to go into the lottery for the school. I just felt like someone else knows more than me. They just like know how to navigate the system. They do. The meek are the ones that suffer being pushed out, pushed ahead, marginalized. They don't have a seat at the table. And yet we're told they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Now, I think that means a couple things. And a big thing, it reminds the blessing that comes from God gets us out of what's called a scarcity mentality, right? Because a self-blesser mentality is there only so much going around. God only has so many blessings, so much kindness, and I, I got to get it. But the blessing from God says, I have an infinite, infinite treasury of blessing. This is part of his ability. And I, I taste it a little bit, you probably too, with your faith, where your faith actually makes a difference. You know, an airport is going crazy because everyone's flights are canceled and people are sort of pushing ahead. And the you know, guy with the big wallet, he's getting there. And the guy that knows how to navigate the system is up there. And you're kind of sitting there and you're like, that's okay. God's going to take care of me. I'll be meek. I'm going to strive to be meek and have him bless me. And the meek not only trust him for provision, but there's also this idea in Psalm 37 that says the meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus pulling on the psalm that includes not only provision, but honor, because the meek are often deprived of that. Right? Someone shuts down their idea. They push them out of the spotlight. They, they don't receive the glory that is theirs. And so the blessing of God is I see you. This is what Jesus did in the ministry. He lifted up those that were meek. And he walked in that way. So with all these beatitudes of want, we can think of Israel. Israel thought, God, you were leading me into the wilderness to kill me. And he was saying, no, I'm leading you in the wilderness to show I can bless you in the wilderness. And man, we need that now, right? In the pandemic. Want of encouragement. Want of energy. Want of hope. So tired of making decisions, so tired of like things changing from here and there. Kids at school, kids coming back from school. Loneliness, maybe you go home and it was a good time and you come back and you're like, I feel like I'm disconnected from people. Maybe you went home and it was a lousy time. You come back and go, I still can't connect with people. It's a place of want. And he blesses us there. But briefly and finally, just these blessings, and I hit these fast, the, the Beatitudes of Action. So this idea that we find is um, when God's people taste his grace, it makes them move. It motivates them, right? The Apostle Paul says this, as beloved children imitate God. People that have his salvation motivated to be like him. And so blessing, what are the blessings? New mercy is the first one. Jesus is probably referring to Exodus 34 here, where Moses said to God, I want to see your essence. And God appears before him. He says, you can't see me. You can just see my, my afterglow. And the first thing he hears out of God's mouth, out of all the things that God could say, is the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful. That's the very first attribute that comes out of his mouth. And Jesus is saying this, those that show mercy, they will get new and fresh vistas, small are revelations of God's mercy. 
those that show mercy will then see God's mercy in a new way. The glory of God's mercy will grow. Second of all, the blessing of intimacy. Psalm 24, where Jesus pulls from this, the pure in heart will see God. We're told that those respond to the salvation of God seek to have clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24. In the promises, they will see the face of God. So I, was, I, was, I happened upon um, the, climactic, uh, uh, the climactic scene in Coco. I don't know if you all have seen Coco. Has anybody, everybody seen? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's really a beautiful film. But, so in this final scene where Miguel is singing to his grandmother, great-grandmother or grandmother? That's okay, it's not important. Grandmother, he's singing to her grandmother. And he's singing the song, and, and the whole time she's been just, you know, kind of in her chair, and not really, and he sings this song to her. It's the song that her father sang to her. And it just kind of wakes her up. But, but the brilliance of what that thing does is they just hone in on these animated faces. And her face just slowly just kind of breaks into this smile, and she reaches out and touches his face, and then they show her daughter's face just well up. The face is, 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 is the symbol of intimacy, right? The face is the place where we recognize the beauty and the favor and love of God. And so Jesus is saying, those that seek to imitate God, you will see his face. Will, have you all seen that commercial where the, the guy... Um, says, you know, secondary characters are sort of fuzzy and the first one's primary. And anyway, you know, he comes into focus in a different way. He comes into focus in a different way. And it's beautiful. And so, you know, if I could extend the metaphor as God is singing the song of the gospel to us, we begin to just see his face in a way that we hadn't before. Lastly, the blessing of sonship. Psalm 34 Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those that do turn from evil and seek peace. Peace, the ultimate family likeness. Because it's at the heart of the gospel. At the crucifixion, God the Father pulls out his judgment for all that believe, all that turn to Jesus. For you this evening. He pours out his judgment upon Jesus Christ. And the upshot is, so we have peace with God. Peace with God. No longer up and down, but a peace that is stable and stays. It's a state of blessing, a state of peace. This is a sign of sonship, daughtership. But it goes beyond that because in Ephesians 2, we find this, that he came in, Jesus, the gospel came and preached peace to those that were far away. Those are the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the nations. Peace to those that are near, those that were in Israel. He preached both peace to both so that they might have access in one spirit to the Father. The blessing of peace results in cross-cultural love. Love in this community, love across the aisle, love across politics, love across all these different things that are dividing the church right now. This is the blessing that he gives to his people. So, 
Here's the good news. You and I this week don't have to get tired trying to bless ourselves. We have a God who is determined to bless us in our place of want and even in our efforts to try to be like him, the little steps we make. And thank God for Jesus' Bible. Because through it, we see blessing as a capital B-L-E-S-S-I-N-G word and not hashtag blessed. Let's pray. We thank you that you are the blesser. We pray that you would bless us, bless your people, even as we trust in you in Christ's name. Amen.